Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We've looked at his prayers that he wrote for young churches, for new Christians who were struggling in a hostile culture. I can't think of a more appropriate thing for us to learn in this, what has to be called a turbulent time. When you look at the increasing number of COVID cases that are on the rise again, as we think about the economic aspects that uh, are going to follow this pandemic. And, uh, you know, that's not even mentioning the elephant in the room or the donkey in the room. It worked better in the first service. (laughs) Friends, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to learn how to pray like you've never prayed before. But today, as we finish this, this is really about learning to pray for yourself. To learn how to pray prayers that are very effective at getting answers for your own life. In some ways, you can't be a lifesaver to anybody else if you're drowning. You can't be in an insecure position or an unresourced position and give help to anybody around you. I've been teaching on prayer since 1997. And in all of those years, I have never been more challenged in my prayer life than I have as I've studied the Apostle Paul. And as I've looked at this, I've come to some conclusions. You don't measure your prayer life by how long you pray, although length can be important. It's not how loud you pray, though passion can be important, or how emotional you get when you pray. You measure your prayer life by the answers that you're receiving. If you're not receiving answers when there are so many promises of God, then your prayers are ineffectual. And if your prayers are not effective, then you want to change the way you pray so that you can begin to see the effects of the prayer life that you should have. Jesus has already put to your account every spiritual blessing. Prayer by faith is how you draw upon that already filled account. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how Paul prayed for himself. And in it, we'll learn something about how we can begin to pray for ourselves and also learn how to ask others to pray for us. So I want you to practice this phrase before we read the scripture together. I want you to practice this phrase, I need you to pray for me. Now look, look at a person. I know you can only see their eyes and their mask, but uh, look at them and say, I need you to pray for me. Say it one more time. I need you to pray for me. So what I'm saying by that is, one, you have to humble yourself in order to ask for prayer, but also you have to admit you have a need. This is when prayer becomes effective is when we are humbling ourselves and saying, I, can't get to, I cannot get through this season of my life without supernatural help. 
And I am at least in touch with my needs enough to say, will you pray for me? So Paul gives us the example here. And I like it when you read Scripture with me out loud. So would you read this? This is Romans 15. It's at the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is what he writes. Will you read it with me? I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So how do we pray for ourselves? And Paul gives us these, these, this picture into how he prayed for himself. And there are these three elements that when you're praying for yourself have to be there in order for your prayers to be effective. The first is this. There has to be an earnestness to your prayers. In other words, what's meant by this is what you're praying has to be sincere. What you're praying has to be a real need. In other words, religious prayers, ritualistic prayers, are not going to be heard from, by God because they're just a formula. It is only when you are praying what you most deeply need and you're being real about what you need that God begins to say, I hear your prayer. Secondly, there has to be a sense of urgency about your prayers. Now, the Apostle Paul prayed with a constant sense of urgency because everything he was doing was dangerous to the kingdom of the devil. He was so dangerous that the entire religious leadership in Jerusalem wanted to kill him. Here's this little Jewish rabbi. He's so dangerous that Nero, the Caesar, the emperor of Rome, wants him dead. Now that's a life worth living. If the enemies of God hate you, then that means you're doing something right. See, many of us live our Christian lives making no impact, showing nothing dangerous whatsoever in terms of our faith journey. See, it should be that Satan knows your name because you're making such an impact on his kingdom that he has to send some kind of strategy against you. See, if there's no urgency in your prayer life, then there's no effective in your faith life. Are you hearing me? Did you just get quiet because you're thinking? A lot of people want to live such calm, peaceful lives. You can do that when you're in the coffin. But right now, you need to be dangerous. You need to be causing damage. Apostle Paul's life was a life of urgency. But it also required persistence. You see, nothing that you truly value, nothing that really matters to you, should ever be given up on in prayer. It's so easy for us to go, that's never going to happen. 
Oh, it's so easy to say, that person's never going to come to Christ. It's so easy to say, this is all over, this is done. But Paul never did that. If there was a promise of God, he stood on the promise until the promise became a reality. That required persistency. Now, the way that Paul has been praying for others is the way he also prays for himself. His life and obedience to Christ has put him in position where he has great spiritual needs and great personal needs. And every time he prays, there's this urgency to his request. All his prayers for others have shown that persistence is one of the most powerful prayer weapons you can have. He says things like this, always giving thanks. He says, praying day and night for you. This has to characterize even our prayers for ourselves. You cannot simply give up because you're afraid you're going to be disappointed. You can't quit praying just because it's a struggle. You must realize that earnestness, if this really matters to you, don't give up on it. Urgency. If you're beginning to damage the kingdom of darkness, keep it up. If this really matters to you, take hold of it until it has come to pass. You see, you have an account that is filled with every resource you need for your destiny. You have an account that's filled and that has access by the name of Jesus through your faith by means of your prayers. I am convinced, friends, that this season that we have been invited to, this turbulent season, you will not get through it without a prayer life. But by going to prayer, you will access supernatural resources that will not only get you through this, but will give you overcoming power in the midst of it. If I put somewhere an account and, and, and I deposited somewhere in the United States a million dollars for you, I pretty much believe that every one of you would do everything you could to access that account. Even if I put it in my old hometown in Mississippi, you would go there. Because you would value what's in the account more than whatever obstacles there are in the way to accessing that account. And what God has put to your account is far more than a million dollars. It is every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now the issue for most Christians is they say, well, that's nice, that's spiritual. They do not realize that every material thing that you have and every material thing that matters to you has a spiritual origin. The job you have comes from God. The ability to do the job comes from God. It's spiritually originated. The marriage, the family, the friendships that you have, these are all spiritually originated. Now, what happens is we try to live in these material things, these physical realities, without supernatural or spiritual power. So therefore, our jobs become drudgery. Our lives become non-contributory. Our marriages and our families become bondages to us because when you try to 
find fulfillment in a material thing that had a spiritual origin, you've got to go back to the spiritual source even to find the glory in that physical thing. So many of us have marriages that originated spiritually, but we're trying to operate physically and emotionally and in our own strength. And then even a good marriage turns into a prison. When you make family everything, then you're saying the source of your life is your family. And every family on earth is dysfunctional, including yours. Thanksgiving's coming. You will see it. <laughs> you might see it on Zoom. I don't know how Zoom turkey tastes, but uh, I'm not really looking forward to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You look at your life and you say, God, I, I want you to bless my job. Then he says, go to the source. God, I want you to bless my marriage. Go to the source. See, he will not give his resources to a person who's unaware or unwilling to access those resources. And that's what prayer is, and that's why you pray for yourself. I've met many Christians who go, well, God already knows what I need, but God said, yeah, I know what you need. I have it on account for you, but you need to access it, and you need to avail yourself of it. And that's how Paul went after this. So these personal prayer attributes are the building blocks of an effective personal prayer life. So first and foremost, you look at Paul, and you, you begin to understand something. Look at the wording that he uses. I urge you, join me. You understand? This isn't like pray once and then you're done. This is, I want you to strive with me. He becomes very emotional about his needs. This is a man who is powerful in the Spirit, and yet he is open and transparent in relationship. And he gets his needs out. And he says, I've got some urgent needs, brothers and sisters. And he says, by the love of the Spirit, join me. Pray to God for me. Here's a man who's probably the most effective Christian that's ever lived, and yet he's the most emotional man I've ever heard asking for prayer. Does that speak to your heart? does mine. D.A. Carson has been very helpful in this series to me, and he writes, he wants to explain this prayer request that Paul makes. He says the logic of the appeal runs something like this. If you truly confess Jesus the Messiah as Lord... I urge you in His name to pray for me. Then He pours it on more. Something like this. If you participate in the salvation He has gained for you, if you submit to Him who has taught us to pray, if you have tasted His redemption and long to see His kingdom extended in the world, then I urge you to pray for me and my ministry. His, his appeal is very persistent, Carson says. If you know anything of the love of the Spirit in this context refers to the love which, with the, which the Spirit fills and empowers us, then demonstrate this love in this ministry of intercession to which I am urging you. Basically, if you love me, how can you not pray for me? Your prayers for me reflect your grasp of who Christ is and how well you love. Do you pray like this? Do you pray like this for yourself? Do you pray for others like this? 
Paul is basically saying, if you really know Christ and you really value the Holy Spirit, then you will pray for others like Paul is asking them to pray for him. Here's the question that I have for each of you today, because I believe this is the invitation of the Holy Spirit, that you rise up and be a person who prays like the Apostle Paul prayed. I believe it is time for the world to see something different in you. When you say, now, I'll pray for you, people think you're just putting them off. Because they say, I don't want prayer, I want action. Because our prayers have been so impotent. Our prayers have been so insignificant. We've not changed a thing in many of the areas of most oppression in our own community. And when we say, when people say, I'm hurting, and we say, I will pray for you, they look at us like, that means nothing. So the question, though, is, if Paul said to you, I will pray for for you, would you not be the first to sign up for his list? I'd want to be on his list. I'd want him praying for me night and day. I wouldn't simply say, no, Paul, don't pray for me. Do something for me. No, I'd say, Paul, pray for me. See, the problem for many of us in this room is we're content to be on somebody else's list. Our lives are so hapless spiritually that we're hoping somebody with some power is actually praying for us. But it is time that other people are coming to you and saying, will you pray for me? Do you understand when people in this next season see something different about you, it's not going to be because your morality is better than somebody else's. Because the grid of morality is changing and your morality actually might be seen as immorality. Come on, I, I know that's deep, but think about it with me. So what's going to be the difference is not going to be your behavior. It's not going to be your morality. What's going to be different is the power of the Holy Spirit emanating in you and through you and God answering prayers for you. Then people are going to go, what's different about you? It won't be because you're condemning other people's morality. And it won't be because you're judgmental of other people's whatever's going on. It'll be because you are so connected to the power source of the very full account you have in Christ that they're like, will you pray for me? And I'm asking that within a year or so, if you don't have people saying to you, will you pray for me? Then you come back and you re-listen and we start over again. Because from this day forward, it can change for you. Your prayer life can matter. But you have to align it with what Paul prayed so that then you have a prayer power like Paul had. And that means it has to be personal. It has to be personal, friends. He's very frank in the way he urges the church to pray for him. He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't want weak prayers. He doesn't want lukewarm prayers. Well, I'll pray that God blesses you. That's a weak prayer, friend. That's a lukewarm prayer. You're not getting into their world. You're not getting into their life. You're not getting into their needs. Paul is opening up his heart. And then he says this, I'm in a struggle. Will you join me in my struggle? That's not putting Paul away. That's bringing Paul near. 
That's letting another person's pain, another person's persecution, that's allowing another person's struggle to become your struggle. That's what Paul's asking of these Roman Christians. You see, Paul saw prayer as the essence of the Christian struggle. A missionary to the Muslim people uttered a saying that was so interesting to me. He said, prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. So even though gyms might be closed, your soul is always open and it's time to work out. It's time to get faith muscles. It's time to get prayer power. And for that to happen, you have to struggle through the barriers of your own heart in order to get to that place where when you pray, things change. When you ask, things are given. When you knock, doors are opened. Because that's your heritage. That's your access. Are you tracking with me? Am I getting too emotional for you or something? Okay. You guys are sitting there interestingly. So Paul's viewpoint is this. Real praying includes elements of struggle and discipline. The, the awesome thing about learning how Paul prayed is Paul prayed emotionally. He prayed passionately. See, I, I love to do things I'm emotional about. I love to do things I'm passionate about. But Paul also scheduled times of prayer. He was as disciplined as he was passionate. So he was in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading all the time, but he also had set times during the day to pray. Many of us are passionate in a sense, I believe prayer works, but we don't schedule it. And when you don't schedule prayer, it doesn't happen. No matter how passionately you say, I believe in prayer, you have to discipline yourself to pray. And you have to learn what brings you into the presence of God. Again, it's not wrong to have a prayer list, but just going th through your prayer list without encountering God is not prayer. Prayer is two-way all the time. It is you hearing from God as well as you speaking to God. And many of us have only spoken and we've never listened. And part of discipline is learning what's keeping you from hearing from God. Some of you have had the opportunity that you sit down to read your Bible and your mind goes into a million directions. Or some of you are sitting down to pray and the phone rings and this happens and that happens. I know that what you want to do is say, I just can't seem to pray or I can't seem to read my Bible. Instead, will you take the enemy's advantage away from him and say, hey, Lord, thank you for showing me how messed up my mind is. Because if you're not in control of your own thoughts, if you're not in control and able to bring equilibrium and peace to your own world, then the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm having trouble getting through to you because there's so much noise in you. That is actually a mercy of God. Don't run away from it. Ask Him, Lord, how do I turn down the noise? The safest place on earth for you should be your own head. If there are other noises there, they don't belong there. They don't have a right to be there, but you've let them squat. It's time to evict them. And it takes discipline to do that. 
lingering with God. It's work. But more than that, and I may get in trouble with this section, but the truth is, you pray not, not because it's nice to pray, friends. You pray because spiritual forces are arrayed against you. Paul makes it really clear that every believer is struggling against what he calls the dark powers of evil. So the Holy Spirit wants to access your being, your central core, and He wants to empower you, He wants to instruct you, He wants to lead you, He wants to give you insight into the spiritual realm that you're coming up against. But if you don't pray, you don't get that power. And what happens is a lot of believers don't really believe they're very much in spiritual warfare, so they don't realize what a struggle it is that's coming against them. Now, in one way, let me explain it like this. Many of us are not in touch with what we really need. And we don't know how to name it. We don't know how to say it. And here's the thing. If you can't name, if you can't get in touch with what you need and make it personal, that means something other than you is running your life. There's another way to look at it. If you learn about your emotional self and you can actually name the emotions that you're feeling, you, you get more control over what you feel. If you don't have control over, you, over what you feel, who does? Because emotions, uh, I'm controlled by my emotions. Emotions are just dumb nothings. They have no control over anybody. But someone is controlling that dumb nothing. And by not dealing with your real needs, not really owning your own emotions, what you're saying is, I've given access to these dark forces to control me. I thought it was my own thoughts, but it's not. I thought they were my own emotions, but they're not. And so Paul is saying, you have to have uh, an inner prayer life. You have to have an inner connection to the Holy Spirit because there is a spiritual, supernatural battle coming against you, and you don't fight it with weapons of this world. You only fight it with the weapons and resources that are yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to share my story, and, and it, you can tell me I'm crazy. It's all right. I probably am. But, uh, but 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, we, we got a very clear warning that Satan wanted to kill me. Now, when the Lord warns you, it doesn't mean you're going to die. It's just a warning. It's to get ready for an attack, for a level of attack. So I got, I got a physical disease. I got malaria from which I could die. My bloodstream was completely saturated with parasites. My heart was attacked at least two times by these parasites. Felt like heart attacks, but it was actually a, an attack of the parasites. I was in the hospital for 10 12 days, something like that. And what happened in the midst of it is this. We have been praying very hard about, Lord, what are the principalities and powers, these forces, these dark forces of evil over Rockland County? And we've been really, you know, seeing here at the church, here at Risen King, we've been doing a lot of deliverance. We've been seeing people get delivered from 
from these lesser demons, but we wanted to understand what are we up against over the whole area. And so the Lord began to show us. Now, when I got sick, it felt like a python had encircled my body and began to squeeze. Started at my abdomen, began to squeeze, ruminated pain all the way to my teeth until my teeth started chattering. Now, that, that is not a coincidence. In the, in the letter to the Ephesians and in the book of Acts, the Ephesians came against a python spirit. It's called pythos in Greek. It is a spirit of divination. It is also a principality spirit because it empowers witchcraft, which then leads to sexual immorality and leads to all kinds of, of confusion in terms of uh, sexuality, genders, all kinds of stuff. But the principality behind it, the power behind it, is this divination spirit. So we had asked the Lord, what are we up against? And he showed through this experience, because every time the pain would come, it was like the snake was wrapping its coils around me and trying to destroy me. Now, the strategy, we were beginning to make some headway here in the spiritual realm, and the strategy was, if it can destroy me, it would hurt everybody's uh, encouragement or their motivation or whatever it was, but it was also basically being used to intimidate me. The problem was it did the opposite. Because at one point when it was hurting the worst and when it felt like the, the squeezing was the worst, I go, is this all you have? Because I knew I wasn't going to die. And I said, you better, you better put as much into this as you possibly can because we're coming after you. And you see what happened was I couldn't stop this thing. But this church banded together. They prayed 24 hours for me around the clock. Elders came, laid hands on me, anointed me with oil, prayed. One of my friends, Ron Walborn, came. And when I was at my worst, and he said, enough, and he bound the thing. And within not a long period of time, I was well again. I recovered very quickly, and then the church began to take off. And instead of less authority, we began to have more authority in the spiritual realm. Because as you see, in some ways, if you're willing to, to, to have these evil forces of darkness manifest, they're defeated. You see, they hide in plain view so that no one will ever know that they're there. So what I'm saying to you is it is not a bad thing when they begin to struggle against you because you've already got the victory over them. They're a defeated foe. You have the blood of Jesus covering you and you have the name of Jesus to break the power that they have over you. Don't be afraid when they show up. Say, praise the Lord, we're going to get somewhere now. You see, we got threatening enough to the higher levels that they thought if they could take me out, they would take Risen King out. But instead, they just made us more determined to bring the victory of Jesus to Rockland County. Are you tracking with me in this? You see, prayer is not inconsequential. It's the means that the sovereign God has appointed for you to express your faith, to bring the victory of Jesus, and to defeat those dark forces that know your family, that want to stop your work, but you've got to say, enough. Are you with me? Yeah. So 
So what does Paul say? Well, if we go to Ephesians 6, he says, put on the full armor of God. Be armed every day. You know what I do a lot of days? I just start with, I put on the, the belt of truth. Jesus, you're the truth. And I just go through each element, particularly when I feel confused or if I feel a bit depressed, I put on the armor of God because it belongs on. But notice what it says at the end. Having dressed in the full armor, then Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Any of you ever prayed to God and said, God, give me power? You know what God was saying and I didn't listen because I just wanted him to go poof. He said, I gave him my Holy Spirit. He's the fullness of the Godhead in you, indwelling. You think you have a lack of power? No, you have a lack of prayer. You lack listening. You lack when he prompts you, you don't turn where he tells you to go. You're not willing to be led because you won't follow. You want power? Then listen. See, prayer has to be more than you telling God. It has to be God telling you. And He will give you insight. And He will give you knowledge. And He will give you wisdom. But look at what Paul says. With all prayer, supplication, that means you're, you're letting your needs out. You're speaking your needs out. He says, to that end, keep alert with how much perseverance? All perseverance. There... Is there anybody in this room who could say, oh, I have persevered in everything? I can't. I want, I want to quit in the middle of COVID. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to keep having to pray for this same pandemic. Part of me wants to go roll up in a sleeping bag and wake up when it's over. Right? And yet, what does it say? With all perseverance. Why do you have to persevere? Because it's not what you choose. It's not the way you want it. You persevere when it's not comfortable. That's what Paul's saying. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul tells you you are engaged in supernatural conflict. You see, you have no physical resources for supernatural conflict. I go back again to that, to that one aspect. That everything that matters in your life, everything that's sweet, everything that's real and beautiful and glorious has a spiritual origin. But when you try to live your life in this physical realm without spiritual resourcing, then even those sweet things turn sour. I love my wife. I have had 40 years of, of just having the best friend and having the best person to partner with. And, and I just think the world of her. She brings me joy, but she's not the source of my joy. See, if she becomes the source of my joy, then she has to be what I want her to be. And then instead of it being I'm receiving my joy as a source from God, then Lisa has to either become my God or I have to become God to her. And either way, she's a bad God and I'm a bad God. Because then I'm just using her as a commodity. And what that does is it takes something good and it destroys it. 
Are you hearing me? There's so many things in your life in the material realm that point to a spiritual source. And the only way to truly enjoy them is to keep connecting to the spiritual source in order to live in this physical realm. And that's what prayer does. And that's what Paul is talking about. So part of it is then, okay, I've got to learn how to pray effectively for myself. And what I, I'm really hoping you guys will see is if you learn to receive for you, you'll have plenty left over to give to others. But if you don't know how to receive for yourself, you have nothing to give. And you're giving out of your own empty material and physical presence. So Paul prays with this incredible freedom for anything that God puts on his heart, anything that's going on in his life. So he makes his needs known. And, and, and when he's asking things, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So anything Paul asks, you can ask. But here's what I, 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 I want you to see. He gets very personal. Here's the need that he brings up. He, this is really powerful, friends. See, Paul went into the Gentile world. He was an apostle to the Gentiles, though he himself was a Jewish rabbi. And in that world, he had done something so supernatural, he had united different ethnicities, different socioeconomic people, people from all kinds of backgrounds and stuff. He had united Jews with Gentiles. You can't do that, friends, without supernatural source. But you see, in Jerusalem, it was still almost all Jewish. Maybe all Jewish. And there were still suspicions about these churches that Paul had raised up. So Paul took up an offering in all of the Jewish cities, in all of the Jewish towns, in, I mean the Gentile cities and Gentile towns, and he brought it back to the mother church. But he's, he's writing them saying, I've got a great idea, but if God doesn't show up, this great idea could go really bad. You see, because... If the Jewish Christians felt like it was an offense to receive an offering from the Gentiles, instead of it being a good thing, it becomes an offensive thing. So it even, you see, even for people across races, across religions, to actually come together takes the Holy Spirit, takes the love of God, takes a supernatural move of God, because we're naturally suspicious and hostile towards each other. So Paul begins to pray, he says, let this offering be successful. Let it unite the churches. Let us see that we're one family. And then, you see, this move that Paul is making is so important that he says, I need God to keep me safe. You see, in every city he had been in, in every place, they tried to kill him. The, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue wanted him dead. I have a list of all the places, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, Macedonia. Now he's headed back to Jerusalem and they're waiting on him. They're ready to destroy him. So he's saying, I have a real need. I have an urgent need. Please pray persistently for me. And so here's the two needs that he expresses. And I love this. He prays to be safe. You understand? I need you to understand that the most fundamental emotional need you have is to feel safe. 
If we don't feel safe, we will make false security for ourselves because it's so important. You can only soar in your life if you feel safe at the foundation. So he says, make me safe. And then secondly, he says, will you ask the Lord to give what I'm contributing success? You understand another basic need is to feel like what I contribute matters. What I contribute has value. Now, the music is playing. I'm running out of time, but I have to tell you a couple more things. All right? Please listen on me on this. Just play like that's gravy over there, you know? Just kind of icing on the cake or whatever. All right, so it's important that you realize that as much a man of prayer Paul was, his prayers were not answered the way he prayed them. So what we see in the Apostle Paul is he had this large, huge dream, but of the three things he prayed, he does not get the answer he expected. So here's the principle. God always answers your prayers, just not the way you expect. So here, the second, the second request that his contribution would be received was met with unparalleled success. It meant the world to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that the Gentile Christians sacrificed money so that they could eat. That was a huge meeting. A felt need brought unity to the early church. It crossed racial divides. It crossed religious divides, all kinds of things. And God gave him success. But his other request, that he would be kept safe. As soon as he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested. They wanted him killed. He appealed to Rome because he was a Roman citizen. So he goes to Rome, but he doesn't go in comfort. He goes incarcerated. So here, God had a plan to get him to Rome, but it wasn't Paul's plan. Now, some of the things that happened because of God's plan, we have 13 letters in the New Testament, 13 books of the New Testament that Paul wrote, and many of them were written while he was in prison. Secondly, God wanted to infiltrate the Roman army, the most powerful army in the world. Guess what he did? He forced Roman soldiers to be chained to the greatest evangelist who's ever lived. You see, God can do more with our submission and our surrender than he even can do with our request. But I, wanted, I want to put this one other thing on you. Paul didn't just pray for the present. He didn't say, just protect me. He didn't say, just make this contribution successful. You know what he prayed? God, I want to get to Rome because then I want to start the mission to the, to the West. And he said, God, I want to get to Spain. So here he is facing incarceration, facing being, you know, probably beheaded by the emperor. And his mind is still, I need to get the gospel to Spain. I don't know how many of you are of Hispanic descent, but guess what? God heard his prayer. Paul got all the way to Spain. And many of the early uh, movement of God in Spain was right from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Some of us are here today because Paul's prayers were answered. Not the way he expected, but in the way God wanted it done. So here's how I want to conclude this series. Paul dares to approach God with these personal requests because he knows God. 
And He knows Him to be His heavenly Father. He knows Him to be a good, good Father. Here's Here's what I want you to get. I said to you earlier, I would measure your prayers by the answers you get. I don't want to confuse you, but what I mean by that is this. If your prayers are based on the nature and character of God as He has revealed Himself, then what you will see is answers like never before. If your questions and your requests are not based in His character, but you've become centered on the answers, you'll never see answers. But if you're centered on God, then the answers come. And here's kind of my my last thing. I love the benediction. Uh, Ashley's going to come and read from Ephesians 3.20 as our our God speaking over us. But I want you to hear this. Anything you ask, He is able. Nothing is impossible for our God. And guess what? Even what you ask is not as big as what He can do. He can do immeasurably more. But here's the test that I'm trying to put in your heart today. Has God Himself become so central to the way you think and what you pursue that you cannot easily imagine asking for anything out without consciously longing that the answer bring glory to God? Is the answer just so I'll be comfortable? It will not be enough. Is the answer, will God be glorified? Then it will be more than you can imagine. It's time, friends. We can't get through this next year without our prayers being profoundly God-centered. If you do that, people will come to you and they will say, what's so different about you? And you'll be able to tell them. in the earlier service that feels weird to close this corporately since this is such a strong call for our personal prayer lives but if you wouldn't mind just standing with me as we close this service the thing that that has really resonated with me this morning is is even just that question what do I need and so I'm going to ask if you would just take a few moments and just kind of get to that intimate place with the father and just begin asking what do I need and why do I need it Do I need to feel safe? Do I need to feel like I matter? And then would you just take a few moments and give those needs to the Lord? Just come to a very uh, honest place with Him and tell Him what you need. For me this morning, this the last since March it's just been a hard season as I know it has for a lot of people but I've had a lot of anger and disappointment and frustration and I realized this morning that I don't know how to parent four kids in a pandemic I don't know that anybody does and so my need this morning is I need to know how to be the mom that I'm called to be for my kids and so would you just find what that need is in your life and give it to him so that he can get the glory for Father, I thank you so much that you want to have a personal relationship with us. I thank you so much that you want to have a personal relationship with our families and with our children and that you use us to be instruments of that. 
And so I give you my need this morning. And Father, I say that I want to know how to be the mom you've called me to be so that my kids will even further advance the kingdom of God. Lord, I ask that you would hear the needs represented in this room, that you would give a strategy for how to pray for these things so that your kingdom can advance through these needs. Father, I thank you that it's through personal relationship with you that you advance your kingdom. And so we draw close to you this morning. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to ask if you would open up your hands to receive this benediction before we close. This is from Ephesians 3. It's the Passion Translation. It says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Would you receive this blessing this morning that he will outdo all you can ask, think, or imagine? So we bless you in Jesus' name. We receive this benediction. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning in worship. It's been good to be with you. If you have kids in the kids program, they'll be waiting for you out in the lobby. Thank you for streaming our services online. If you came prepared to give today, there is an offering box set out in the lobby. You can also visit us online at risenking.life. We'll see you next week, and you can exit out these side doors. Thanks, everyone.